Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to One Market in San Francisco, and welcome to Kramer. I call the people who want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Fang is back. Long live Fang. Or did Fang never really go away? Only its supporters did. On a day where the Dow gained 256 points, S&P climbed 0.97%, NASDAQ vaulted 1.08%. It was the beaten down Fang, and you know that's the double A, which is, of course, Amazon and Apple, that led the way. Do we really have to circle back to these once-loved, now-hated names? Sadly, for everyone who's already sold them, I think the answer may be yes. Let me tell you why. Why don't we start with the F? Let's start with Facebook, which ignited today's rally. This morning, J.P. Morgan named Facebook one of its best Internet ideas for 2019. Why? Because according to J.P. Morgan, Facebook is, and I quote, stickier than many think, with recent metrics mostly stable, and our proprietary survey work shows solid engagement, while Instagram continues to grow rapidly, end quote. In short, business is good. But you want to know the real reason why the stock has stopped going down. The media has run out of new revelations about Facebook's bad behavior. No one came forward from the company and said, tell me, let me tell you what you want to know the truth. They're a pack of liars. No, that didn't happen. No one named names. Unless some insider is willing to break their non-disclosure agreement and write a huge tell-all, pretty much everything that can be written negatively has been written. Yes, we get it. Facebook's a bad actor. They sold your data. They sold you out to other companies as a matter of course. But what are you going to do about it? Are you going to switch to a competitor? What competitor? Without new grist for the media hate mill, people are back to using Instagram around the world. Advertisers still love the darn thing. Where else are they supposed to reach people? It would be great if we lived in a world where consumers punished businesses for their bad behavior. That's not a reality. How about Apple? All right, today we spent some time with Tim Cook talking about how the Chinese problems could be ephemeral if we get a trade deal. And based on kind of what Tim had to say in some of my own work, I am feeling more optimistic that we'll get a trade deal. More important, I feel confident that Apple's service revenues and the other revenues, whether we're talking about, say, the watch, the AirPods, or the computers, are going to make up a bigger, bigger piece of the pie relative to phones. Remember, if we valued Apple like a consumer products company, yeah, like uh, Colgate, like Clarks, like, like Procter & Gamble. Where would this stock be? How about $230? Right now, it resides at $150. After talking to Tim, I'm also much more certain that these tech analysts who follow the company, they simply don't know how to value the darn thing, so they value it negatively. They treat Apple like it's a pure hardware company, not at all giving any credit for the razor razor blade business where customer loyalty is still bringing new income from service stream for, say, the iPhone 5 and other older iterations. Stanley Black & Decker's 
hardware company, right? This would be a good compare. It trades at a much higher multiple than Apple if you want a hardware company, and they make drills for heaven's sake. Drills! People bash Apple for not being innovative enough, uh, but geez, with your stock selling for just 11 times earnings for next year, I mean, how innovative do you really need to be at this point? Then there's Amazon. I don't know what to say other than it turned out to be an Amazon Christmas. Meanwhile, many of the cloud kings, especially ones affiliated with Amazon, have been on fire. I think that Amazon's the gold standard. Their cloud business is the cheapest and the best, although I'm in awe of the franchise that Satya Nadella has put together over at Microsoft. Look, I'm not as bullish as, say, Bill Miller, the legendary fund manager who came on our air yesterday and printed Amazon will double. Bye, bye, bye. Uh, but I could easily see this $1,656 stock running to $2,000 now that the market's circling back to technology. And bang, I honestly have no idea how Netflix has rallied almost 20% since the beginning of 2019. I, I thought it'd be down considering all the money they need to spend to get content. It's a real conundrum, isn't it? Now, I love to watch Netflix. I think the company's amazing. Uh, at this point, though, its stock is reflecting a reacceleration of growth in both domestic and international. And I, I'm not sure that's right. It's had a monster move. I think you need to be a little careful. Finally, there's Alphabet, formerly known as Google. This is a total black box. No one knows how it's doing. No one. Nobody knows how the autonomous driving initiative is going. Nobody knows if there's a pickup in advertising. Nobody knows if they're monetizing YouTube effectively. Nobody knows how the other moonshots are going, the other bets that are recruiting some very good talent. Because we know so little, all I can say is that Alphabet is definitely inexpensive on how it's been doing with a lot of optionality and great, great piles of cash. I just wish they used some of that money. Still, we own the stock here for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. And with the stock trading at about 200 points off its highs, this one may be ripe for a run, especially even with a sighting, no matter how small, of CEO Larry Page, who's become the modern-day Howard Hughes. Hey, uh, if that went over your head... Give it a Google. Listen, I'm sure that the last big shakeout, the one that brought Amazon down to the 1300s, obliterated a ton of capital and made investors feel that betting on Fang was a total mugs game. It's entirely possible that Facebook could be like to get some new revelations about management's cavalier approach to ethics. Although at this point, I think that story's kind of run its course, don't you? Without bad publicity, you may have a real rally in Facebook here because those who were going to downgrade it will look at the action and say, hold on, I'm holding it in. I'm not going to do it. It's too late to sell. But the bigger question is, is it too late to buy? The bottom line is, with the exception of Netflix, I don't think so. There's too much opportunity and hang even among the likes of Facebook, even if only for a trade. Hey, let's take some calls. Let's go to Jim in Connecticut. Jim! Booyah, Jim. You're the last of the Runyon-esque characters. Uh, I just want to tell you that I'm 75 and I will never clip a coupon. Here's why I'm calling. Uh, I had a a stock that's linked to the Russell Index that went from 79 down to 57, and in the last uh, 10 days, the Russell has been up every day except the day that Apple reported its earnings. Right. My right. question to you is if the Russell gets to 1460, would you change your opinion on the small caps? Um, I think the small caps are fine. I particularly like this idea that you don't want to clip the coupons. You don't want some bonds. I like the mixture. I'm a total return guy. I like small, medium, and large. I also like a smattering of international, and I like some gold. That's my menu. That's my pastiche, if not my mosaic, of how to save even for someone who's 75. And thank you for those kind comments. And Damon Runyon, what a writer. Bye. 
Fang seems to have gotten its bite back. And with the exception of Netflix, I'd say it's not too late to buy. Oh, man, money tonight. Last week, Apple had its worst session since 2013. It's interesting what we, some people consider to be a dire quarterly warning. <laughs> which also helped to push the Dow down to a whopping 660 points. Today, I'm going one-on-one with CEO Tim Cook. Find out more about what the company is seeing in China, where he sees growth in the coming year, the service revenue streams, and, well, let's just say Apple's single greatest contribution to mankind. Then, more than just Botox, Allergan CEO is telling me about the company's migraine drug and how it could boost the stock. And oil calls a rapid fire in tonight's West Coast edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or Give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com WEC. we do with Apple now that it's become one of the most hated stocks around? There was nothing to like about last week's revenue shortfall driven by iPhone weakness, especially in China. Now, we've heard a lot of theories about what might be going wrong here at Apple. But you know what? I prefer to go straight to the source. Earlier today, we snuck out to Cupertino for a long meeting with Apple CEO Tim Cook. Take a look. Tim, you know I always say, own it, don't trade it. But right now, people are saying, Jim, give me the investment case for buying the stock. Well, you know, I never uh, try to sell the stock. I try to sell a product. Never have. However, let me tell you the way I look at it. Okay. We manage the company for the long term. The most important things in Apple, one, a culture of innovation. This team is unbelievable in creating hardware and software and services and getting them all to work together. It just works. Second, we have a very large active install base. It hit 1.3 billion a year ago, and we've added about 100 million in the last 12 months. Third, highest customer satisfaction and loyalty in the industry. So you put those two things together, if you've got a lot of uh, big active install base, and you've got a lot of heavy customers, then you have a recurring revenue stream on your product business, and then because of our ecosystem that we built, which has unbelievable developers in it and uh, an app store to get, to, to get services mm-hmm. out there. We built a services business that was you know, a little over $7 billion right. in 2010. Last year, uh, the, for the calendar year, over $41 billion. And so, and we've said that you know we're going to double the 2016 numbers by 2020, and so we're on a fast clip there. And then, of course, we're, we are shareholder friendly on our uh, capital allocation. 
So you put all these things together and those are the most important things for us. Innovation, customer satisfaction, and the, the overall size and, and loyalty of our, our customers. Okay, so most tech companies, I think, don't innovate nearly as much as you, but let me just put it, posit what we got. Yeah. Um, you take so many risks that I don't think you get credit for. For instance, we had, it turned out to be real ridiculous strings around our neck, and then we got the AirPods. We loved our dumb watch that told time, and now we have a smartwatch that saves our life. Yeah. We loved the big fat jack, and then yeah. we got the lightning jack. We loved our Sony $2,000 mirrorless camera until we got the iPhone 10, which takes better pictures. Why do you therefore have a 12 multiple? Because to me, that is wrong. Yeah, I think it's wrong too, but I, I tell you what I focus on okay. is the, the customers. And so the customers speak every, every quarter, they speak every year, they speak every day. And the, the, the most important thing for us is that they're satisfied. And so when I, when I read emails and so forth from customers, they're telling me how the Apple Watch has changed their life. They're telling me how it motivated them to, to be more fit, be more active. They're telling me that they discovered they had AFib. They're telling me they found a problem with their heart that they didn't know existed, and if they wouldn't have reached out to a doctor, they might have died. And so these are life-changing things. Uh, we've got machine learning embedded in our silicon in our phone. You know, this allows us not only the power efficiency to, to have an incredible performance in a very small package, but it allows us to manipulate this data on the phone, have the transactions on the phone as opposed to letting them out in the world and, uh, you know, this, the whole privacy issue for, uh, we've always been on the right side of privacy, right. but the market is now moving. And so this is an incredible strength that we've built. The photos that you're able to take with your phone, as you said, I mean, these are life-changing things. If you like to chronicle your life, this morning I, was, I picked up my phone and I saw a memory from a year ago. I love the memory thing. I, cool. I love it. Yeah. You know, you, you, you see um, my nephew or somebody that's very important to you and their face just appears and you have a slideshow built for you. These things are, are they're, they're <laughs> unbelievable and our customers love them. That's the most important. But, but, okay, so let's, let's unpack that. Yeah. My daughter has the five. Why? Because she loves it. She said, listen, yeah. Dad, if you put it in the, in the washing machine like your wife did, I'll get a new one. But you can't pry it out of my cold, dead hands because I love it. Yeah. She is not an upgrader because she, you made the greatest product. What do we do about that? What do you do? Well, the, the most important thing for me is that she's happy. That is the most important thing. Now, if she's not upgrading for another reason, maybe, maybe it's too much of a hassle for her to upgrade. Maybe she's worried about the transfer of data. All of this stuff, we want to help on. And, you know, we've got the store that you're in that's very focused on having the best customer experience there, helping people set up their new phone, making sure all their data is transferred, and also uh, allowing them to trade in their current phone, which begins to look like a subsidy that the carrier may have previously provided, and it sort of offsets some of the cost of the new phone. Okay, so these issues are all occurring at the same time that we do have China. You were very uh, abject about China and the 100% of what we didn't think uh, of the upside that went away. 
Uh, there are issues involving uh, perhaps not boycotts, we you know that's off the table, but patriotism in a strange way, meaning that, you know what, if I can get a Huawei with a, with a subsidy, why should I buy an Apple? It's conspicuously American. How long can that last? Well, I think what we, here's what we saw in China in specifically. The, the Chinese economy, it seemed to us, began to slow maybe in the second half of the year, and it was on some sort of rational trajectory. We believe, based on what we saw on the timing of it, that the tension, the trade war tension uh, with the U.S. created this more sharp okay. downturn. I believe that's temporary because I think that when you, when you really look at it, it's in both countries' best interest to come to an agreement. It is a complex, uh, very complex trade agreement and it needs to be updated. But I'm, I, I, as I've said before, I'm very optimistic that this will happen. And so uh, that, that clearly will be good, not only for us, frankly, but I, I think more about the, the world in general. The world needs a strong U.S. and in, in China economy for the world economy to be strong. My understanding is even the hardliners in the White House have moved on this issue. Now, I know that President Trump calls yours a friend. I know you go back and forth because you represent the greatest that we have in America. And my understanding is, is that there are people who feel exactly like you, which means a deal is possible. I think a deal is uh, very possible, and I've, I've heard some very encouraging words. Uh, Even of recent, right? Yes, yes, right. In, very recently. And so I, I, don't, I don't speak for them, obviously. Uh, I, I, I do talk with them and uh, give them my ideas right. and thoughts. Okay, now, uh, we got to talk about some of these people who, the naysayers, and we've dealt with them before when the stock was substantially lower. A Wedbush analyst who says Apple's clearly the darkest days represent challenging growth. Journal, it's too soon to call the 10R a flop, only after a few months. But early indications are, of course, it's a flop. What do you say to people who say 10-hour flop? What do you say to say darkest states? Uh, I say baloney. <laughs> uh, I call baloney on that. Let, let, me give, let me tell you how I view this. The, the, here's the truth of what the facts are. Since we began shipping the iPhone 10R, it has been the most popular iPhone every day. Every single day from, uh, from we, uh, when we started shipping until now. But how about relatively? And I mean, so there have been other do, ones that have Do I want to sell more? Of course right. I do. Right. Of, of course I'd like to sell more. And, and you know, we're, we're working on that. And, uh, but in terms of the product itself, it's an incredibly innovative product. It has a bunch of advanced technologies in it, from the chip with the neural engine to security embedded to an edge-to-edge -edge liquid retina dis uh, display, the first in the industry, longest battery life ever in an iPhone. I mean, it, it, it is unbelievable. And the photos that you can take of your life and of your loved ones, I mean, it, it beats up many, many of the standalone uh, cameras that, that you could buy now that nobody uses anymore. And, and so these things are, are, you know, give a lot of value to the customer. So that's that. In terms of the naysayer, I've heard this over and over again, Jim. I've heard it in 2001. I've heard it in 2005 and 7 and 8 and 10 and 12 and 13. You can probably find the same quotes from the same people over and over again. And I'm not defensive right. on it. This is America, and you can say what you want. Uh, but I'm giving you my, my honest opinion is that there is a culture of innovation in Apple 
And that culture of innovation combined with these incredible uh, loyal customers, mm -hmm. happy customers, this ecosystem, this virtuous ecosystem, is, is something that is probably underappreciated. Well, then you were surprised with the market reaction to both when you decided to not reveal units and when you revealed the shortfall? I'm never surprised by the market, to be honest with you, because I, I, I think the market uh, is quite emotional in the <laughs> short term. And, and we sort of look through all of that. We think about the long term. And so when I look at the long term health of the company, it has never been better. The product pipeline has never been better. The ecosystem has never been stronger. The services are on a tear. If you look at, um, let me, let, let's just take wearables as an example, sure. right? Wearables is mainly the Apple Watch and AirPods. Yes. If you look at this and, you, and on a trailing basis, so I'm not projecting, mm -hmm. on a trailing basis, they've or, we've already exceeded, the revenue from wearables is already more than 50% more than iPod was at its peak. Now, this is a product that everyone, iPod would say, I think everybody would say it was an incredibly uh, important product for Apple, full of innovation, and, and probably the trigger for the company getting on a very different trajectory and into other markets. And so, already exceeded it by 50% at its peak, at its peak. Also, if you take AirPods and the watch separately, mm -hmm. and you sort of back these up and align it to the launch date of iPod as well, and you know, where all of them have a comparable amount of time, you would find that, that each one independently is like four to six times ahead of where iPod was at a comparable period of time. And so this uh, AirPods are becoming ubiquitous mm -hmm. out there. People love them. I get notes every day. They're chock full of technology, right. but they just work. Right. It's the elegance of them, but with significant technology and uh, built right in oh. and an unbelievable user interface. All right, keep that thought because we're going to talk about innovation. Yeah. We'll be right back more with Tim Cook in a second. Follows stocks for 40 years, Tim, and you guys are a fan of innovation. My wife said, tell him, what do they want? Time travel? <laughs> what do you have to do? Hey, time travel sounds kind of cool. Right? I mean, that's what, because the reason I mention is because there are companies that sell 22 to 23 times earnings. They are the consumer packaged good companies. Yeah. They are companies that tend to go from 1% to 4%. If they get 5%, then they get a 28 multiple. And yet the analysts who follow your company continue to look for units of of phones, they're not thinking about the revenue, and yet if it were Procter and Gamble and they got that many razors with the razor blade, they'd pay 28 times earnings. Are you followed by the wrong people? I, I, I think that uh, our story isn't well understood. I think Apple is not well understood in some of the, the Wall Street. If you, um, for example, I think, I think there are several people that believe the most important metric is how many iPhones are sold in a given 90-day period or what the revenues is. This goes, this is far, far, far down my list because the, the, the point is if somebody decides to buy an iPhone a little later, 
if uh, because of the uh, battery uh, huge discount that we gave, uh, they decide to hold on a little longer, I'm, I'm great with that. I want the customer to be happy. We work for them. And so, the, but the important thing is that they're happy because if they're happy, they will eventually replace that product with another <laughs> and the services and the ecosystem around that will thrive. But as long as it's north of 60%, Tim, as long as cell phones are north, I don't know how you get people to think even if it's 20 billion in service revenue. It's the 62%. It is overwhelming, and they don't know what to do. And I understand their conundrum, Tim. They don't know what to do because the cell phone is such a big part of the pie. Yeah, but if you, if you sort of back up and look at Apple, uh, in our last fiscal year, we had $100 billion of revenue that was not iPhone. $100 billion. And in this last quarter, if you take everything outside of iPhone, it grew at 19%. 19% on a, on a huge business. Okay, that's, again, it's a consumer so, packaged good company, but not a tech. It, look, you have the best tech consumer packaged good. Why not accept it and say, you know what, we're just, we want to be covered by other people. <laughs> I don't think we get to pick who we're covered well, by. Well, I don't know. I think you're a big company. Maybe you could. Now, I've got some ideas for you. Okay. okay. I talked to some people at Walmart yesterday. Yeah. An arrangement with Walmart Flipkart to take over India with a budget phone rather than doing it piecemeal. For us... We're about making the best product that enriches people's lives. And so we're not about making the cheapest, okay. right? We, will, we want to make a great value, but, but that's not necessarily the cheapest. And so for us, what we've seen is there's enough people in every country in the world that we play in that we can have a really good business by selling the best phone. Okay. Now, the best phone, we, we knew that as we went to the 10, and then the follow-on of the 10s and the 10s Max, that everybody would not want to spend $1,000 right. for the phone. And so we made the iPhone 10R, and we put as many of the advanced technologies as we could in that well, phone. Well, let Flipkart do the subsidy. And we priced it right between the 8 and the 8 Plus of the year before. Okay. And so on, uh, but, but in India in general, we're all in. It is a major focus. If you look at how we've done over the over the years, we've gone from a uh, you know hundred two hundred million dollar business to last year we hit uh, we exceeded two billion. Okay. That two billion was flat year over year after rapid rapid growth, and so we have more work to do. Okay. We'd like to put stores there. We would uh, like some of the duties and so forth mm -hmm. that are put on the products to go away. Uh, and we're working closely with the, with the team there, and I, I uh, believe that we'll have better results at some point in the future. I'm not, I'm right. not in the forecasting mode right. here today, but okay. uh, it's an important market for us. You have people who are uh, naysayers. One of the naysayers is not an analyst. It's Qualcomm. Qualcomm keeps telling me over and over again, you're going to come to the table. You have to. Lost a suit in Germany. Lost a suit in China. That wait till you see them cave. Are you going to cave? No. Uh, look. The, the truth is, we haven't been in any uh, settlement discussions with them since the third calendar quarter of last year. That is the truth. Uh, so I'm not sure where that thinking is coming from. Uh, the, the, the issue that we have with Qualcomm is that they have a policy of no, no license, no chips, this is, in, in our view, illegal, and so many regulators in many different countries agree with this. And then secondly, 
they have an obligation to offer their patent portfolio, patent portfolio on a fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory basis, and they don't do that. They charge exorbitant prices, and they have a lot of different tactics they use to do that. And that's not just us saying that. I mean, you can see what's coming out of the FTC trial here in the United States. Um, and obviously, I have an issue with, with some of their other tactics that I'm, I'm sure you've read about. Right, that they say you are in settlement talks all the time. Well, not just, not just that, but the paying somebody to write fake news right. and then promoting it. This is stuff that should be beneath companies. This right. is not how things should operate. All right, so let's talk about competition. Uh, the other company that I think of is Innovation. I always have to talk about is Amazon, and they do great voice. You have voice. It's a bit of a contest, Tim. How, if you threw, if you, you have unlimited capital and you throw it at voice, would it make it Siri even better? Well, we're putting a, a ton of investment in Siri. And so if you look at Siri today, Jim, we have about a, a bit over 500 uh, million devices that are uh, using Siri out there, Siri-enabled. And uh, it's Siri is used over 10 billion times a month. And it's in 21 uh, different languages in 30-something countries. And so we've, we've tried to do, we tried to create a global product. We're not in every country yet. We want to be. And if, if you want something that is something that has been created on your device, Siri is the best place to do that. And I, I think I, I get more and more uh, great things every day. The quality is, is going up. You know, uh, voice is a never-ending journey. We all speak a bit differently. I have a southern dialect, not as southern as I used to. But uh, it, there's, there's a lot of stuff to do there. But I'm highly confident in, in our ability to keep innovating like crazy there. Okay. Uh, last question, because they're yeah. giving me some rap. Uh, healthcare, if you hooked up with different... Uh, could you make it so that I can sync? I need to sync. I need to handshake with my doctor, okay? And uh, payments, it can be huge. If you look at a PayPal, they've got a 30 multiple, MasterCard, 30 multiple. Can you layer, layer either one of those on to be able to jump, even though it's huge, the service stream? Take it so that it's 40% of your company by doing more in payments, more in health. On, on services, you will see us announce new services this year. There will be more things coming. I don't want to tell material. you about what they are. Material. Uh, I believe there'll be material over time. Okay. I'm not going to forecast you right, know, fair enough. precisely the ramps and so forth. But there are things that we that we feel uh, really great about that we've been working on for multiple years. On the healthcare in particular, and and sort of your well-being, this is an area that I believe, if you zoom out into the future and you look back and you ask the question. What was Apple's greatest contribution to mankind? It will be about health. Because our business has always been about enriching people's lives. And as we've gotten into healthcare more and more uh, through the watch and through other things that we've created with research kit and care kit uh, and putting your medical records on the iPhone, this is a huge uh, deal. And it's something that is very important for people we are democratizing it. We are taking what has been with the, the institutions and empowering the individual to, to manage their health. And we're just at the front end of this. But I do think, looking back in the future, you will, you will answer that question, Apple's most important contribution to mankind has been in health. Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. Great Thank to you see so much, you. Sir. Thank you for Great having to see me. You. 
Well, now you know the story behind just the units of the cell phone. Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. Stay with me. What is it going to take for Allergan stock to make a comeback? This drug maker, a former darling of this market, has spent years in the doghouse, uh, thanks to worries about slowing growth and patent expirations. But in the last few weeks, the stock, which sells for just 10 times earnings, has started to rebound. Can it keep climbing? Earlier today, we checked in with Brent Saunders. He's the chairman and CEO of Allergan. Find out where his company might be headed. Take a look. Brent. I've got to understand what's happened here. A few years ago, your stock was worth $100 billion. Now it's worth $46 billion, and yet you have more drugs in the pipe, and you've got a much better crew of, of, of a, a leadership, four key therapeutic areas. How could it be cut in half? And I'm not talking about the Pfizer deal. I'm just talking about the valuation while you've got so much that's better than it was three years ago. Yeah, I, look, I think our company has been misunderstood Maybe some of it was some unforced errors we caused, and maybe some were just market-driven. The reality is you have to look at the underlying operational performance of the company. In 2018, three-quarters of the year in, which is what we've reported, the core business grew 7.7%. That's 90% of Allergan. We have now 12 programs in Phase three development and almost 60 other earlier to mid-stage programs in development. We have a great company. We need to do a better job showing that to investors and other stakeholders. Well, go over the unforced errors. I want everyone to recognize that they could be history. Well, I think people didn't fully appreciate when generic, when Restasis could potentially go generic. We haven't seen it yet, but clearly we've lost the intellectual property around that. And so that is imminent. Um, and, and that's a bill, almost a billion and a half dollar product. On top of that, as you know, Commissioner Gottlieb at the FDA came in and really did the right thing and, and created more competition for generics, including complex generics. So we lost about another billion and a half of branded products. This all happened last year. Right. It's almost in the rearview mirror for us. But the core business, once you strip away those products, and we'll annualize them soon, is really healthy, really robust, and the team at Allergan is doing an amazing job. Now, you made some acquisitions. Not all of them have panned out. Well, most of them have. Okay. And look, if you look at the quantum of deals we've done, and I've been CEO for five years. My fifth anniversary was just a couple weeks ago. Um, we've done over $100 billion of deals. I would say the vast majority of them have worked out. Not all of them have. Not all of them ever will. That's part of the risk of doing M&A. But the vast majority of them have. And so we feel good about it. We've learned a lot from the ones that haven't. We review them. We talk about them openly. But really, we're focused on building a great company that's going to win in the four therapeutic areas where we compete. All right, let's talk about those because you now we've got that, uh, the negatives out of the way. But I want to first talk about uh, aesthetics uh, because I've got to tell you, I think this is the great payer. It has nothing to do with United Health, has nothing to do with Medicare. And the Botox franchise, there are people who say that it's challenged. I think the challenges, frankly, are nowhere. Do you agree? I do agree. Look, we, medical aesthetics, in my opinion, is the best business in the biopharmaceutical space. You just said it. It's highly durable. Mm -hmm. It's cash pay all over the world. And it's less regulated. And so we don't have to deal with government payers anywhere in the world. It's growing. It's a growing market. We believe it will double 
over the next couple of years, and we are the market leader in every segment we compete with the best brands, whether it be Botox, Juvederm, cool scoping, so on and so forth. So when we look at this market and our position in it, it is an amazing business and our team is doing just a great job. Not getting any credit, I think, for what you're doing. Migraine or major depressant, I think a lot of it is people don't believe. They don't believe that there could be an acute pill, but you're getting some good results. Well, we've gotten all the results, and so now we're in the process of filing with the NDA, uh, the NDA or the application with the FDA and governments around the world. So we know we have it. We know the risk-benefit is incredibly positive, and we should be launching it towards the end of this year or early next year. So um, we will have the best migraine portfolio. We'll have Botox for uh, chronic preventative. We'll have the only pill for acute treatment. And then we have an oral CGRP for prophylaxis coming the following year. And so explain for people in English, you're talking about you think one's coming on, you pop it. This isn't Excedrin migraine. This is something that works, right? right. So what launched last year was these great innovations, these right. CGRPs. The, they're injectables. They're, right. they're shots or IVs. They're used to prevent migraine. You have to take them every month or every two weeks for the rest of your life. What we have is a pill you take on demand. And so you feel a migraine coming on, which we're most people are pretty used to doing. They yes. feel a headache coming on, they take a pill. That's what we have. It's, it's a novel CGRP mechanism, and it should work great. Amazingly, both I and GI track, no one talks about them, but they're good franchises. Yeah, so we're the world leader in, in eye care in the pharmaceutical industry, um, both front and back of the eye. Uh, Restasis was, was for dry eye, but we are the world's leader in glaucoma. And then in back of the eye, we are moving very rapidly into areas like wet AMD, geographic atrophy, where there's no treatment for patients whatsoever. This could be an amazing breakthrough, as well as gene therapy and gene editing. Well, I've got to tell you, if I had a, a, uh, an actual pure play on medical aesthetics, I think it would be worth the price of your company. And yet people keep saying he's not doing anything transformational, not doing anything transformational. Have you ever thought about the idea of giving us a metal aesthetics company and then all these other fantastic drugs that are going to revolutionize mental and revolutionize eye care? Look, we, we do think about it, and our board of directors thinks about that regularly. The issue is Botox is the anchor brand in medical aesthetics. We sell more Botox for therapeutic, like migraine or overactive right. bladder or spasticity disorders than we do for wrinkles. And to break Botox apart, to break a brand of that uh, uh, power, of that strength, right? It's ubiquitous. It's an eponym for the procedure would be value destroying yeah, but, today. But Brent, Brent, there are drugs that you have in the pipe that I think are monster drugs. And a lot of the companies that I've seen out here are saying, listen, we want to put these high growth drugs in a different silo from things that just are good solid growth. People keep wanting this from you, Brent. Why can't you create the value that they want with a, with a pen? <laughs> because first of all, to separate a company is a multiple year process. Other companies have, have done this, have talked about it, it's taken them two or three years. So it's not a quick solve solution. Second, we don't believe today that's the right thing, but it may be tomorrow. We always are evaluating the opportunities. We don't have scale outside the U.S. Okay. It would be very expensive for us to do. We still have $20 billion of debt that would have to be divided right. among the companies. That would hurt the debt holders. There are other complexities to this than just simply saying split the company. That being said, we're always looking for ways to create value. I have done many transformational moves. I'm not afraid to do it. 
It's just not the right time today. We will solve the growth issue by lapsing the LOEs or the losses of exclusivity. And the underlying core business, as I said, is growing, and the pipeline looks very encouraging. All right. Thank you so much to Brent Saunders, the chairman, president, and CEO of Allergan AGN. I never thought I'd see the stock down here, but maybe that's why it might be real interesting to buy. It is time. It's time for the White Room. Of course, remember, that's where Ralph Farkles wanted to say the talk said Bye bye bye. So, Mr. Beeler, another source of a stop. We're going to be like, but we're going to play the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Over the lightning round. Here's my song with Rita in Florida. Rita. Hey, Jim. Hoorah. Yeah. I'm a first time caller with disabilities. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to hear your thoughts on Tilray and well, why t- it all. Okay, Tilray, I don't like the actual ownership structure. I've got to tell you, here's the truth about Tilray. It doesn't have the capital, the money, that Canopy Growth has. So I say this sell, sell, sell. to Tilray and this bye, bye, bye. to Canopy. Let's go to Jerry in Utah. Jerry. Hey, a big eagle booyah to you, Jim. Go birds booyah. Hey, Jim, what do you think of me buying some shares of Southwest Air stock? If you take a longer-term view, I'm going to say bye, yes. Bye, bye. Short-term, we know the last couple months not that good, and oil went down, but if oil stabilizes, start getting some better numbers, Gary Kelly's, Kelly's going to deliver, and that's my stance. Uh-uh, we're not done. We're just getting started. You need to go to Anthony in Ohio. Anthony. Booyah, Jimbo. After Booyah. Under Armour Sanya Strategic Review Conference, the stock fell below $19. Hold, sell, or buy more UAA? That was a bummer. That was a bummer. I expected more, but I'm going to stick with it. I believe that Kevin Plank is back. It had a pullback. It's retesting, and I think it's going to go forward. How about we go to Michael in Florida? Michael. Yes, Happy New Year, Jim, and thank you for Same. taking my call. I would appreciate your opinion on Bank of America. Okay, I just saw an upgrade after the close, but someone was knocking it earlier. It's kind of a push me, pull you, so I'm going to say bye, 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 bye. There, that's pretty much it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. It was fabulous for the market and for the economy when Fed Chief Jay Powell came out last week told us he'd take a more patient approach to raising interest rates. One in weight is what we call it. That's exactly what we were looking for. But here's a little niggling worry in the back of my mind. Powell changed his mind once. He can change his mind again. If he sees enough positive data and enough bullish action from the stock market, it just might convince him that the economy can handle another rate hike and one sooner rather than later. So when I was looking at the strength of the stocks of Walmart, Lululemon, Kohl's, Target, Burlington Stores, TJX, Amazon, strength that provides good anecdotal evidence that the consumer is still spending, I get a little concerned about the Fed's willingness to wait. Throwing the positive action in Lowe's and Home Depot, not to mention the recent rallies in the housing stocks, and it's enough to make you worry that the Fed doesn't need to pause after all. Maybe they'll keep tightening. And we have to be more careful after this run. What's happening? As long as the Fed doesn't want to throw us into recession and is content to let the economy grow, then these moves make perfect sense. All of these stocks are worth owning in a world where the Fed is truly on hold. On the other hand, if the Fed feels like it's been fooled by the markets, if they're just looking for ammunition to raise interest rates, then the moves in these stocks could give it to them. And that would be very bad news. Sell, sell, sell. 
Look, I think the holiday season was generally a good one, except for the retailers that are still hostage to the mall. But you can't just asterisk those companies. The mall-based chains are a huge slug of retail, and they're trading like they barely have a pulse. More important, the bond market is giving housing a real reprieve. Homes all over the country are being repriced downward, but now mortgages have had some downward pressure, too. Nobody was anticipating lower mortgage rates when the housing-related stocks started really breaking down a few months ago. Amazingly, the stocks of the home builders are now back to where they were before Jay Powell went nuclear on us in early October, laying out this incredibly hawkish game plan for four more rate hikes. Now, though, Powell's realized he, can't, he may not need to destroy the economy in order to save it from inflation. Instead, he can take a more dovish approach and engineer what we call a soft landing. So all of these retail and housing-related stocks are flying. Before last week, they were trading as though the future held two more rate hikes. That would be downright devastating, and you'd have to sell, sell them sell, all. Sell. You can take away those rate hikes, and the outlook becomes a lot more bullish. As long as Powell doesn't change his mind, I think the home builders and retailers have more room to run. However, this rally is now built on a precarious foundation. These stocks are climbing because investors expect a pause on rate hikes. Yet the Fed could easily use the strength here as justification for more tightening, perhaps as soon as their February meeting. If he does that, we know we're paying too much for both groups. Sell, sell, sell. Stick with Kramer. I might be at one market in San Francisco, but I want to talk Vegas. Tonight, CNBC's The Profit, Marcus Limonis, spends three days as a high roller to unlock the secrets of Vegas and see how it got so good at separating you from your cash. The Profit, High Stakes, premieres tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on CNBC. I want you to keep one thing in mind. We've been going higher. Why? In large part, because oil goes higher. That's been calling the tune. When I saw oil up this morning, when I knew it was going to be a decent day, if you see oil start going down after this incredible run, then you know that short-term, people are going to be taking profits. I know it's ridiculous, but that is the way it is. I like to say there's always a market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.